Thank you, choir. It's a great reminder. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's such a great reminder. Uh, we've talked about this before in First Timothy. The essence of the gospel is being in Christ. And that causes us to worship. And I appreciate the choir leading us in that. Uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. Paul writes, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. You're my son. As many of you know, he's in ninth grade. Um, And don't worry, I ask permission to share this. Okay, This is something you have to do if you're a preacher, or you speak publicly in any fashion, Check with the family before you use them in your sermon. So I asked him. He gave me the thumbs up. Okay, so my son's in ninth grade. And uh, his teacher gave him an assignment. And the project that he signed deals with what he wants to be when he grows up or when he graduates. What do you want to do with your life? And so what he had, had to do for the assignment, he had to choose the vocation that he wanted to pursue. And then he had to think about, okay, how much schooling will, will be required uh, what type of a degree should I pursue? Uh, how much money would it take to earn that degree? And all these different plans and all these details. And it all centered around what did he want to do when he graduates? What did he want to be when he grows up? Now, I know most of you are out of school. I see a lot of praise the Lord. Yes. I'm out. Uh, yeah. Hallelujah from the back pew over here. Choir. So, you know, some of you, now some of you love school, but some of you are like, you know, school was fine, but I'm glad to be done with that stage, right? However, I'm going to give you an assignment, but you won't have to turn it in necessarily. But uh, let's, let's just say you had a teacher that gave you this assignment, the similar assignment that uh, my son was given. I wonder how you'd answer this question. What do I want to be when I grow up? Now, work is good. We know that from the Scripture. We've taught on that. We've looked at that. Work is a good thing. Uh, seeking an education is a good thing. Uh, seeking vocation, uh, to get a job, to earn money, to provide for your family, and to contribute to the good of the, the mission of God and the community is a good 
thing. But if you're a follower of Jesus and someone asks you the question, what do you want to be? I think our answer should be, I want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be. I want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And now my son, he was given the assignment of not only what do you want to be, but then how do you get there? You know, what degree do you need to pursue? Or degrees? You know, how much is it going to cost? And how do you achieve that goal? And so if you want to be a good servant of Jesus, I want you to think about what you need to do to become that. What do we need to do to become good servants of Jesus Christ? And Paul answers that question for us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. Look with me at verse 6 again. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Then in the following verses, Paul elaborates on how to become a good servant of Jesus. Now, before we go any further, I want to uh, look at this word servant, because this word servant is actually the word where we get the term deacon from. And so, back in chapter 3, Paul goes into some detail as far as, okay, this is what the office of the deacon is. This is who should be, here are the qualifications for who should fill that office. And so, it's a similar word. However, here, Paul's not talking about the, the role of deacon or, or the, necessarily the position of deacon. But what he's talking about is what that word means, which is a servant or service or ministry. And so, what he's getting at here is... He's telling us what it looks like to be a good minister or a good servant of Jesus Christ. So now let's look at how we become good servants of Jesus. Look at verse 7. Paul tells us that we become good servants of Jesus by training ourselves for godliness. Verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Here it is. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So this word train, train yourself for godliness, is the word where we get our word gymnasium. You know, it carries the idea of to exercise, to train, uh, to strengthen, to go to the gym, you know, is the idea. Put in, put in the work. This is going to take some, some toil here. So that's where we get, the word, we get our word gymnasium from this verb to train. And then Paul then expands on what he's saying by, by posing a contrast between how we train our bodies to how we train for godliness. And so he says that the body, training the body, is of some value. And it is. You know, our bodies are gifts from God. And the Bible tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus, then your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so your body is very valuable. It's a gift of God. And we should try to take care of our bodies. But we all know that no matter how well we care for our bodies, our bodies are going to age and break down and eventually die. In other words, bodily training is of temporary value. We should do it. Take, we should take care of our bodies the best we can, but it's of temporary value. 
Whereas training yourself for godliness, Paul's telling us, godliness, godly living is, as Paul says, of value in every way. In other words, it's valuable both now and for all eternity. Its value is not just temporary, but it is eternal. Paul says it this way in verse 8. It says, he says, it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, if we want to be good servants of Jesus, we must train ourselves for godliness. Which prompts the question, how do you do that? Just like my son, if he wants to be this, whatever this is, you have to figure out, okay, well I need to pursue this track, this degree, this college, whatever, this skill set. We should train ourselves for godliness. Well, how do we do that? How do we train ourselves for godliness? We know we train our bodies through diet and exercise. But how do we train ourselves for godliness? And I, I think we actually train ourselves for godliness similar to the way that we train our bodies. We train our bodies, like I mentioned, with diet and exercise. Diet is what we put into our bodies, right? It's what you eat. It's what you put in. And then exercise is what we do with our bodies. And so I believe that we train ourselves for godliness using diet and exercise as well. In other words, we train ourselves for godliness by our diet, what we put in, and our exercise, what we do. And so let's look at those two things. First, let's consider our diet. What does Paul tell us we should eat or take in if we're going to train ourselves for godliness? Look at verse 6. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So now, if you're fo- I'm reading the, uh, the ESV translation. If you're reading just about any other translation, uh, you have a different word there. And with the, the phrase you have there, instead of being trained, the phrase you have is nourished. Or being nourished. And Paul says, what, is nourish, what nourishes us as we train for God? A diet. What nourishes us are the words of faith. The good doctrine. In other words, if we're going to train ourselves for godliness, then our diet must consist of the word of God. Our diet must consist of the word of God. In other words, we must eat the Bible. Listen to what David says in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Listen to what he says about God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." See, David knew and he understood that in order to train yourself for godliness, you must take in God's Word. Now, 
I just want to remind you of this. David did not have the New Testament. We all realize that, right? Actually, he only had the first half of the Old Testament. And yet he would say, the Word of God is sweeter than honey. And the reason he saw it that way is because he saw those words as the very Word of God. And they were sweeter than honey to him. You see, he understood what we eat determines how godly we are. What we eat determines how godly we are. But some of us have an eating disorder. Now, do you know anyone that has ever struggled with an eating disorder? Now, as I walk through this, if you struggle with an eating disorder, then I want to encourage you to come talk to me after the service or talk to someone in our church family or someone you know uh, so that you can find someone that will walk alongside you and help you overcome that and, and, and arrive at a healthier place with how you view yourself and how you take care of your body. But I had a friend in college that struggled with an eating disorder called bulimia. And one sign of a person that struggles with bulimia, this eating disorder, is they will eat a large meal and then they will leave the room and make themselves vomit the meal up. Try to get rid of what they just ate. And the reason they do this is to prohibit the effects of the food, of the meal. In other words, they, they want to get rid of the food before nourishment takes place because they don't want the food to change the way their body looks. And so they want to get rid of it before it begins to uh, be absorbed by the body. And the, result, and the result is, if you have friends or you know people that have struggled with this, the result is that they, they become uh, very thin and frail and sickly. And they just arrive at a very unhealthy place. Now I wonder how many of us struggle with an eating disorder as it relates to taking in God's Word. You see... I think many people sit down at the dinner table and they help themselves to many servings of the Word of God through preaching, teaching in Sunday school and Bible study, and even reading the Word for themselves. And they feast on it, they take it in, but then they get up out of their chair and they walk out of the room and they vomit it all up. Because they, they will not allow the Word of God to nourish them. They will not allow the Word of God to change them. And the result is, they are not godly. You will not be godly if you do not eat and digest the Word of God. So if we're going to be good servants of Jesus, then we must feast on the Word of God and allow it to change us. We have to allow it to change how we view people, how we view the world. We have to allow it to change how we speak, how we act, how we think. 
Whatever it is that God's Word says, we must allow it to have its way in our lives if we're going to be godly. So if we're going to train ourselves for godliness, then we must have God's Word on the menu. But not only do we need to give attention to our diet, if we're going to train ourselves for godliness, we must also exercise. And this is what verses 11 through 16 teach us. Paul gives Timothy several ways to exercise his faith. Now, some of these commands are very specific to those with the gift of teaching because uh, Timothy was a pastor there in Ephesus. So some of these applications are very uh, specific to uh, if you have a gift of teaching. But there's also some specific commands here that uh, can be expanded to include whatever gift you may have. But the main thrust here is found in verse 14 when Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have. Or do not be careless with the gift that you have. Because you see, God has gifted each of us. He's made each of us unique. He's given each of us gifts. Some of you may be gifted in teaching or encouragement or prayer, whatever it may be, whatever your gift is. He's given us all a gift and He wants us to exercise that gift. Now, here's my question for you. What happens when you stop training the body? Now, let's say that you are uh, training to run 10 miles in just one shot. And I know some of you think that's just absolutely ridiculous and crazy, and I agree with you because I'm not doing that. But let's just hypothetically, let's say you're going to do that. Okay, you build up to it. Several weeks, you're training, you're training, you're training, you're increasing your distance, you're increasing your distance. Finally, you do it. One day, you run 10 miles without stopping straight through. And then you say, you know what, I'm going to take a break. And then you stop running for six months. And then you get up one day, you say, you know what, I think I'm going to try that 10-miler again. I'm going to give it a shot. (laughs) Well, you can still run. I mean, it's not that you lose the ability to run. You can still run. But you're not going to run 10 miles, right? You've lost some of your capacity. And the reason you lost it is because you didn't exercise it. You stopped exercising your gift. You didn't completely lose it, but it's not as strong as it could be if you exercise it. So God has made us unique. He's given each of us a gift. And the more we exercise that gift, the stronger it becomes. Now, if we stop exercising it, that doesn't mean you lose it necessarily, but it does become weaker. So whether your gift is teaching or praying or helping others or organizing or giving or encouraging others or leading or serving or whatever it may be, God has made us unique. He's gifted us with certain abilities that are are meant to be used and exercised in order to build up people in Christ as well as introduce those who don't know Christ to Christ. See, our gifts are meant to help each other grow in godliness. And so Paul's saying you need to exercise your gift. This is why Paul says in verse 15, practice these things. And then down in verse 16, you need to persist. Now, why would he say that? (laughs) Because it's hard. That's why. It's not easy. Right? And you all know this. If you've tried to diet and exercise, it's not easy. It's hard. There's so many different things that can take you off track. And it's the same thing 
as we train for godliness. There are so many things that could take us off track, take our focus off the Lord, uh, keep us from exercising our gifts. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, you have to practice these things. You have to persist. You have to keep a close watch. In other words, you will not just drift into holiness. That's not going to happen. You're not going to drift into godliness. This is going to take some effort on your part. Now, if you've ever uh, dieted, you begin to watch what you eat, and you begin to exercise, and you started doing that over a period of time, if you've done that and you began to see some progress, have you ever seen this? Like you start working out, or you start exercising, you start eating differently, and you begin to see some progress, some change. I mean, isn't that a great feeling? You're like thinking to yourself, man, I've you know, lost a little weight. I feel better. I have more energy. I'm stronger. You know, I'm faster. I mean, when you start seeing the progress, it's a great feeling. And the progress we will begin to see in our lives, if we stick to a diet of God's Word and we exercise our gifts, the progress will be godliness. And what's interesting about this is that this progress that we see will not only uh, be a great feeling to us, not only will we be encouraged by that, but it will also be a blessing to others. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. And by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Did you hear that last phrase? For, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, we know from this letter and others that we are saved by Jesus. It is by grace, it is by the grace of God that we are saved through faith. And what Paul is saying here is that godliness is the exercise of salvation. It is our salvation becoming visible. Paul says it this way in Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, let it come out. Let it be shown to the world. Let it make its way through your life. And so what Paul is saying here is that godliness is the exercise of salvation. James said it this way. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, salvation will make itself visible in your life. And so by exercising what we believe, we are working out our salvation so that it becomes visible. And as that happens... Not only do we experience that assurance of our salvation that God's at work in our lives, but also those around us taste that as well. You know, as we love others, as we love ourselves, as we look out for the interest of others, as we seek to serve others, as we're generous to others, as they see the overflow of the gospel in our lives, they be, they're, be, they're being blessed by that. And they're being drawn into that same grace that brings about salvation that God has granted us in Christ And look at verse 10. The ultimate reason, the ultimate reason why we practice and persist and train ourselves for godliness is found in verse 10. Look what he says. He says, For this end we toil and strive. And the word there is it's manual labor. I mean, this is hard work. 
We toil, we strive. Why? Here's the reason. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You see, everyone has tasted the goodness of God in some way, shape, or form. And this is what Paul means when he says, God is the Savior of everyone. Everyone has experienced some form of grace from God. But then he says, but there is a grace that those of us who believe have experienced that is even uh, more dynamic and eternal uh, and long-lasting than the grace that humankind as a whole has experienced. It is the saving grace of God in Christ. And so for those of us who believe, we have this eternal hope that he talks about in verse 10. And it's that hope, that persisting, continual hope in our lives that we know and serve the living God that fuels this, this striving and this labor. It is that hope that makes our effort worth it. It's that motivates us to want to pursue godliness in our lives. To work out our salvation so it's visible and it's a blessing to others. So here's the question. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? Do you want to be a good servant of Jesus? Well, if so, you need to train yourself for godliness, which means you need to eat the Bible and you need to exercise your gift. Let's pray. Father, that's our desire. Lord, we want to train ourselves for godliness because of what you've done for us in Christ and what you are doing and what you will do. This, this hope that is fixed upon you, the living God. Lord, that is our motivation. Lord, help us not to um, continue on with our eating disorders. But Lord, may we take in and eat your word and digest it. Be changed by it. Submit to it. Obey it. And trust you to do a great work in and through us as we take it in. And Lord, help us to exercise our gifts. Lord, show us how we can uh, use what you've given us to help those around you grow in you, in their faith. Help those around us come to know you personally through Jesus Christ. And just to bless those around us, whether they know you or not. Lord, help us to know how to use our gifts. Help us to exercise them so that they become stronger. We become stronger as we seek to serve you. And Lord, we know as we do that, the value will be not only experienced by us now, but the value will last for all eternity. And we're so grateful that you give us this opportunity even now to serve you, to know you, to love you, and to make you known to others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.